Ion 2020, episode 230. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up, everybody? It is your pre-debate show It's Wednesday tonight. You're going to be having a debate going on with the Democrats. And I always bring you guys that pre-debate show just so you guys can have a general idea of what's going on with the candidates, uh, where they stand and all that stuff. And I just want to go through each of the candidates today and just give you a general, um, you know, the lowdown on them, who they are, what they stand for, what their policies are and so forth. Uh, Always taking a libertarian perspective because it's a libertarian show. So if it's your first time listening, just expect that. Maybe a little bit of critique here and there. Who knows? Uh, but this is Ray Eaton. Ion 2020 is your source for all of that information. Uh, Monday through Friday, doing a show for you. Making sure that you are the most informed and uh, well-versed in all of the candidates and policies for all the candidates. Even not just Democrats, not just Republicans, but we even tackle third parties around here. That's right. The Libertarians, I'll tackle Green Party and I'll tackle other, you know, other smaller parties as well as we go forward into 2020. That is my goal, just to help you guys out. But hey, yeah, so today is the debate. Tonight, you can really listen to it. Tomorrow, I'll go ahead and do a, sh- a post-debate show. You'll see that come out first thing in the morning at 5 a.m. I stay up late, get that show out to you, and uh, make sure that you get my true feelings on the debate uh, with who won and things like that. Uh, today, though, I always try to do that pre-debate show just to go over these candidates. So let's go ahead and jump right in then, okay? All the polls, this is the first thing, guys. All the polls are showing this as pretty much a four-person race. Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Pete Buttigieg. Even with the early states, you got Iowa, you got New Hampshire, even with those states, it's a four-person race. Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, right? And some of the Iowa polls are showing Joe Biden in the lead. Some of them are showing Pete Buttigieg in the lead. Uh, every so often you'll see one with Elizabeth Warren in the lead. But I think that Pete Buttigieg has a lot of the momentum on his side right now. He had two polls come out that shows him with a two or three point lead over Joe Biden and over Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren's generally been, you know, tied with Joe Biden. Joe Biden's been a little bit ahead of her, but Pete Buttigieg is jumping up in there, man, and possibly taking a little bit away from the other contenders that are in the race that are kind of starting to fizzle out, like Kamala Harris and Zilworth. Now, I don't know what it is about Iowa. I really don't, but those people get into it during election season. Like, they just love a candidate that is going to spend time with them. So these candidates just go to all these fairs, they go to these festivals, they go to as many town halls as they can. They just do some amazing amount. Uh, They spend amazing amounts of money in there. and They spend an amazing amount of time with the... I mean, it's a lot of, like, retirees or older folks... 
you don't see a lot of younger people there, but I think if you go to the college towns, you'll see a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters. Because if you look at the numbers, Bernie is the most popular among people that are under 35, even in Iowa. You look at the polls, it shows it. But everyone else is, you know, they're trying to divvy up votes. They're trying to figure out how to get their in. And those people that just get into the primary season, I'm willing to bet since the Republicans are not doing a lot of stuff right now, like even the people that are in Iowa who are Republicans and staunch Trump supporters are probably even going out and just listening to what these candidates have to say. For me personally, I could not imagine going out and just listening to a political rally. It's kind of annoying. I've done it once maybe twice. I think I did it with Paul Ryan back when he was running with Mitt Romney in 2012. I was living down in Florida at the time, and we were, we went down to the Villages, which is like the world's largest retirement community. So obviously, obviously any Republican is going to go through there because it's a very conservative area. And you get there, and they were right in the middle of one of the town squares down there in the Villages, and there was probably... Seven, eight thousand people. I mean, it was just packed, jam packed, shoulder to shoulder. They had you had to like go through security to get into the area. They had everything partitioned off and everything. And you listen to Paul Ryan speak. Everyone's cheering and raising hell. You know, they try to make it sound like it's like a big patriotic event. They're playing proud to be an American. They're playing, you know, inspiring music, especially if you're a retiree that grew up with this stuff flying the red, white, and blue, just making it a big event. But from what I see in Iowa, a lot of these are not big, gigantic events like that was Like that thing, they put it on a stage, they had a bunch of sound and lighting, and I don't know if there was lighting, there was sound, there was security, the whole nine yards. Whereas in Iowa, a lot of things that I see is like the candidate standing up in like a little town hall area just talking to people. So there's not a lot of fanfare going on, but even so, that Paul Ryan event, eh, not too exciting to me. Like, I went there, my wife and I went there, we just happened to be in the area. So we drove down there, and, uh, I mean, we lived in the area, so we drove down there just to see it, just to see what was going on. Plus, when you get down to the villages, you can get some food and drinks afterwards and have a good time. So anyway, we got, we went down there, and that was that, but... I I couldn't imagine doing that too often. I couldn't imagine getting involved in that stuff, but these people do. These people in Iowa just love it, man. They really do. So, with all of the stuff that's going on in Iowa, you're seeing Pete Buttigieg just really has a lot of fire under his belt right now. You really do see that. But then you move on to New Hampshire, and it's pretty much all Warren and Bernie and Biden. Like, it's a three-person race in New Hampshire right now. I, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that because Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, they're both from states that surround New Hampshire, Vermont, and Massachusetts. And New England is pretty liberal overall, so they might go for someone that's extremely liberal, liberal like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. They really might. Like this hardcore progressive bent that they have, Massachusetts is known for that. So... New Hampshire, on the other hand, is a little bit more maybe conservative for a New England state, but it's still a relatively liberal state in some ways. And sometimes it goes for 
they're Democrats, sometimes it goes for Republicans. It's sort of a swing state in that way. But anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens in New Hampshire. But then you go on to Vermont, or not Vermont, sorry, then you go on to uh, South Carolina and you go on to Nevada. And Joe Biden is very much the clear winner right now of those two states. So we'll see what happens. There's a lot of time. There's a couple debates in between now and then. So that's what we're going to talk about is these candidates and what they and who they are because the early that's one thing I missed yesterday is the the, the only the early state polls that is where the momentum is built. That's kind of like you start off right now you're kind of got a good little jogging start going but the people that win Iowa the people that top are the top 3 or 4 in Iowa like their momentum just starts shifting at that point and they start getting a little bit faster while everyone else slows down. Then you get to New Hampshire, you're a top two or top three finisher there and you were a top two or two, three finisher in Iowa and boom, you're off the races at that point. You're cruising. And then you get to South Carolina and Nevada and that determines what's going to happen on Super Tuesday which is when like 16 different states do their votes. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll keep our eyes on that stuff, though, together, guys. We will, because uh, we want to know what these candidates are doing so we can talk to our friends and let them know about liberty and libertarian principles, about limited government, how we're going to you know, interact with our government, what we're going to expect from our government. Like We can talk to our friends about that and start talking about limited government from that standpoint when we know what these candidates are talking about. So Joe Biden will be on that stage. You know him. You love him. He is the front runner in some way, but he seems like he's fizzing out. But then again, I'm not sure that he's going to fizzle out because he's the vice president. He has a lot of supporters that like him, even though they're not willing to donate it to him. They're willing to say, yes, I support Joe Biden. And on top of that, the main agenda of the Democrats is to get Donald Trump out of office whether it's through impeachment or whether it's through the election. So they are going to go with the safest choice. At least 60% of them people are going to go with the safest choice. Who's the safest choice? Joe Biden. You got it. You got it. Joe Biden. So if he's the safest choice, that's who they're going to vote for no matter what. But then again, you have someone like Elizabeth Warren and you have Bernie Sanders who are the progressive choice. They're the ones that are looking at big structural change within the economy, looking at huge increases in taxes, huge spending bills. Is that the safe choice, though? Probably not. So as you get further into 2020, as you get further into the election cycle, that's what they're going to be, that's what people are going to be wondering. They're also talking about possibly having a contested um convention, a contested convention where there's multiple people that have a lot of votes but nobody makes the magic number of delegates that you need that'll be interesting to see what happens then as well but I just mentioned them Elizabeth Warren, she will be on that stage obviously you know that, she's a front runner she's the Medicare for all person, she is the wealth tax person she is the stick it to the rich person she is the person that tries to convince you that she is for the little guy and that she's going to stand up for you as the little person, as the poor person, as the middle class person 
and will spend $20 trillion a year extra and not raise your taxes one bit. That's what she's saying. So she is definitely one of the most progressive candidates, although she calls herself a capitalist. She's really just trying to toe a fine line because she clearly is not a capitalist. Then you hop on with Bernie Sanders, who is the furthest left left candidate that I've seen. He wants to give out free everything, every chance that he gets, no matter what. Free childcare, free sneakers, free water, free sh- uh, clothes, free food, whatever it takes. He'll say he wants to give it to you for free because it's a human right. Education, medicine, whatever, anything. He could come up with it. And it should be provided by the government to you. He's a socialist. He's a extreme socialist in his private views. Publicly, he calls himself a democratic socialist. But he is just one of those people that, like most progressives that I've seen, they're trying to incrementally have the federal government take over the economy. Have the federal government take over the private sector no ownership of production in that way now he doesn't go out there and say it but I guarantee you he believes it but that is Bernie Sanders you know him, you love him good old Bernie Sanders right? now he is and also Elizabeth Warren they're pretty good on foreign intervention they really are they want to keep that money at home so that somehow they can put that into their fiscal plans on other things though so uh, that's where they're at Moving on, Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey. He is the Senator of New Jersey. So well-versed. When you listen to him speak, there's charisma there. He knows what he's talking about. He's going to be on that debate stage. And he just is not taken off in the polls at all. At all. I've, I assumed after the last couple of debates he would because he had a really good performance at the last debate, but Pete Buttigieg had a little bit better performance. And that's what really took him off. Because Cory Booker, he's good on like criminal justice reform. He doesn't really talk too much about foreign interventions or anything. Or where he stands on those, so I'm not sure. But his main thing is, he's good on criminal justice reform in some way. He's one of those people that wants to make it so that like drugs are decriminalized. That they maybe even legalize them. Uh, not maybe not all of them. I think marijuana specifically legalized that. Um, not go quite as hard on the criminals as well, especially for nonviolent crimes. So he's usually pretty good on that. But when it comes to social issues, he is a Medicare for all is the ultimate ideal. But we can you know take a step in that direction by offering it to everybody. M- Mayor Pete Buttigieg, he, and I've said this before. He's the sleeper. I've been saying it from the beginning. It's the first time I heard that guy speak. I said, holy cow. Charisma. Well-versed. Knows his stuff. Every time they ask him a question, he is speaking in a way that hypnotizes people into listening to him and hypnotizes people into believing that he has authority. Now, when you listen to him talk, he doesn't usually answer questions, though. But he'll say, listen very closely because this is very important. When someone says that, those are hypnotizing words. You'll notice that when a lot of people that have influence in speaking. 
a lot of people use those words. So he, when I, from the very beginning, I knew that he was going to be a front runner. I was saying it. I doubted myself around like July, August. I sl- started to doubt myself a little bit, but he started moving back up at those polls again. And I was like, yeah, yep. He's just was kind of, you know, not trying to be the center of center stage person for a little while because he knew that these people would just eat their own. And sure enough, they have slowly started to beat each other up and kick each other out. Pete Buttigieg might be sitting on that stage as a front runner, though, tonight. And there might be, there really might be some Dukes being thrown his way for sure. Tulsi Gabbard, next person that's going to be on that debate stage. You guys know her and love her. She is the supposed anti-war candidate. She's not really anti-war. She is more of a let's rethink the foreign policy that we have, maybe pull out of a few of these wars, maybe bring the troops home, things like that. She wants to stop spending so much money overseas, bring a lot of those troops home, spend that money at home because on her domestic policy, just as far left as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Maybe, she says, Medicare for some, or Medicare for most, or Medicare for anyone that wants it. But she seems on domestic issues. She seems like she's very much to the left. Libertarians seem to love her because she's outspoken about the anti-war or anti-war and anti-foreign intervention. That's a good thing that she'll be on the stage if she brings that up. She didn't bring that up very much on the last debate, I don't think. But if she makes that the center point of her campaign, I think that she'll get people behind her. That's pretty much how she's gotten to three four or five percent in some of the polls here and there. Kamala Harris, or excuse me, Kamala Harris, I apologize. Kamala Harris, Senator of California, Democrat, she'll be running. She is on the stage. Um the first debate, man, she blew it out of the water, attacking Joe Biden, going after him. She just rose in the polls. Everyone thought that she was gonna be the front runner. Next debate comes around. I said it that same night, man. She seemed like she was tired. She didn't seem excited. She seems like she's exhausted, doesn't want to do this anymore. The second and third, or the third and fourth debate, same thing. I'd love to see her come out in this debate and kind of just either denounce that she's going to leave the, leave the race or maybe do something, you know? I mean, she's, I mean, not that I support her by any means, but it's nice to see someone like, she's feisty, man. She's feisty. She will break out those claws if she can drink a cup of coffee beforehand. She needs to drink about five or six cups of coffee, hop up on that stage, and get feisty, and that'll help her. And she has the ability to do it, man. She really does sound like, like, I mean, she's a strong woman. That's, that's the impression that I get from her. But she seemed like a tired, tired, like a really exhausted woman on the last couple of debates, and we'll see what happens. Amy Klobuchar, she, I believe she's the vice presidential material. I do. She's a senator. She's from Minnesota, so Trump has to win that state. Um, she knows her stuff on foreign policy. She knows her like she's a very centrist Democrat in some way. She's for the status quo and foreign policy. She's for Medicare for some, but let's, you know, reform Obamacare. Like, she might be a very good 
vice presidential, presidential candidate, but I don't think she has the charisma. I don't think that she has the passion that a presidential candidate would need, especially someone that's going to go up against Donald Trump. But we'll see. Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer, the billionaire, he has put $100 million of his own money up. The dude's not going to run out of money anytime soon. And I'm sure you've seen his commercials. My kids have seen his commercials on YouTube. Like, they are everywhere. My kids sees them, they see him on TV when they're doing a commercial. He's like, oh, I know that guy. I'm like, well, I hope you don't believe him. I hope you don't think that he's presidential material. But he's, he's a pretty far-left guy. He's been trying to impeach Donald Trump from the pretty much the day that he got nominated, or the day that he got elected, and uh, he wants like the he he believes medicine's a human right. He believes all these these you know positive rights and things of that nature. Um, definitely somebody who, since he has the money, can campaign and probably get himself to the nomination. But he has to get people behind him. All those commercials, are they hurting them or helping them? In my mind, they hurt, but maybe he's just trying to get name recognition. And I bet you his name recognition has gone up from like 5% of people recognizing his name when they hear it to at least 50, 60%. Because my kids even heard of him. Good Lord. And then Andrew Yang is the last person that will be on the debate stage that I did not mention yet. You gotta love the guy. He wants to give you money, right? That's what he says. I even heard a tweet. I read a tweet the other day. It says, I'm just looking to give y'all some money. He said that, right? My response to it was this. It's not your money to give, Andrew Yang. It's not your money to give, and it's not. But he wants to give everyone a... Or he wants the federal government to print up $1,000 checks once a month for every person in the United States that's over 18. That's what he wants. He want, that's, that's his desire. A minimum income, right? A minimum income of $1,000. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Holy cow, who cannot use an extra $1,000 a month? Who can't use it? I, I could use it. I'll, I'd be happy to accept a $1,000 check every single month. But there's a lot of problems behind that, but it sounds great. If you walked up to any person and says, Hey, can I give you $1,000 a month? They'll say yes. But that money's going to come from somewhere, and that's the place, that's the thing that he doesn't understand. It's not money doesn't grow on cheese. Money doesn't just come from the government. It's taxpayer money. It's money that has to come from the economy and then put into the government's hands and then redistributed to the masses. That's it. Or they could just print up a bunch of checks, but then you'll have rapid inflation. Rampant inflation. To the point where that thousand dollars won't mean anything because Everything will go up in accordance with it. But that's where he's at. He's kind of the, you know, his motto is math. I'm Asian, so I like math. And I, I can't remember what math means, but whatever it means, it's a losing prop- proposition because he's not going to win. He might be vice, pre- vice presidential material. He might even be cabinet material down the road. But this whole idea of a negative income tax, or what he calls it, the the um, freedom dividend, which is a minimum income, that thing is just... I mean, I did a show on it, so you could go back and listen to it. But it's just something that 
will basically put our government into so much debt over time or cause inflation because that money has to come from somewhere. It absolutely has to come from somewhere. And who knows where it's going to come from. There's only three ways the government gets money, though. It has to be taxed from the people in businesses. It can be printed, because obviously the government can print as much money as they want to. Or they can borrow it. So that's how we'd be funding that $1,000 a month to every single American. And uh, over time, the national debt is going to go skyrocketing. Trust in the U.S. economy is going to go down. Or taxes are going to be so high that that $1,000 won't mean anything anyway. So we'll see what happens, man. We really will. But that's the debate. That's the debate lineup for you guys. Are you excited? I don't know. I, I, when I look, when I watch these debates, I have to drink a little bit. So maybe I'll drink a couple of beers while I'm watching it. Um, if you don't want to watch it, that's fine. Let me do it, and then I will talk to you about it tomorrow. And uh, you can hear the show tomorrow by subscribing to the show if it's your first time listening. Okay, but hopefully I won't be slurring. I'll try to keep the drinks down to a minimum so at least I can get through the show. And Anyways, like whenever I do that show, I do it late at night. So the, sh- the debate's over at 11. I'm usually done recording by like 12, 12, 15 or so. And then I go to bed and I usually wake up every morning about 5.45, 6 o'clock. Uh, so I can get myself ready for work. So I'm going to be really pushing it with a debate that's ending at 11 o'clock. But you know what? I'm going to do it for you guys. I am. So you don't even have to listen to the debate. You just hear my analysis of it and then I'll do analysis even more the next day about what the talking heads are saying give you guys a good nice little libertarian critique of these candidates and what they say so come on back tomorrow and you can have clear vision for 2020